Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi again, everybody, and indeed, welcome back to Give Them the Sports Biz. Dan Abone out here in San Francisco, joined like always with the NFL agent representing New York City. It is Matt Marino. Matt, what's going on? Hey, Dan, man. We're at uh, 48 hours till the draft, you know, kicks back on. We got some sports back on TV. 48 hours until we actually talk about a sporting event that is not the World Series circa 1995 or, or the last dance. I don't know if you saw that on Sunday night. It wasn't bad. Michael Jordan, the much anticipated document of Michael Jordan. But we're actually getting real sports, not a game, but it's the NFL draft. And we'll take it considering the sort of conundrum that we're in these days. Let's start here simply because it's timely. Rob Gronkowski, he's coming back to the NFL, and in order to do so, he had to go back to New England and get traded and traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, where he's reunited with his former quarterback, that being Tom Brady. Really quick, can you just take us through that deal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's a pretty simple one. You know, he had a one-year retirement and and basically, um, you know, has agreed to, to come back. He, he wanted to come back and – and clearly play with Brady. Um, it seemed like that was the uh, his agenda. So basically what happens is that he's got a $10 million uh, compensation package this year between his um, his $9 million salary and then bonuses um, of, uh, of just under a million. Um, so basically the uh, the Bucks absorb that. And, you know, in return, the, the Pats are picking up, you know, draft capital, which they always love, uh, fourth rounder and the seventh rounder. Um, so, you know, that's Belichick's wheelhouse. There hasn't been too much talk if, you know, what happens with OJ Howard in, um, in Tampa, if he's moving, uh, you know, on anywhere else, um, or if he's going other direction, um, you know, to the Pats, but uh, as of right now, it's, you know, a fourth and seventh rounder for, for Gronk going to, uh, t- t- to, uh, Tampa Bay. Now is, are the Bucks getting the seventh round or are the Pats getting both a fourth and seventh? Um, so the Patriots are also sending a, uh, a seventh rounder to, um, to Tampa. Um, so the, uh, the Bucks send the, uh, the fourth rounder. Yep. You're right. You know, to, uh, um, to, to, uh, New England. Um, and, and the Pats are, are sending Gronk technically since he's come out of retirement and the seventh rounder, you know, back to him back. Um, and then in that, you know, the, it's actually pretty good timing because, um, you know, what would happen is if, uh, you know, Gronk really wanted to hold New England's feet to the fire, um, he could, you know, technically put his $10 million back on their books. Um, but um, it doesn't seem like he's going to do that. And, you know, they're going to be able to move him and, and certainly not absorb uh, that $10 million. Yeah, and that actually works well for the Patriots because if he stays in retirement, then the Patriots don't get a fourth-round pick this year. And they're picking low in the first round. Then, as I understand it, they don't pick again until, like, the sixth round. So they needed that draft capital. So he decides to come out of retirement. That's fine. You don't have to play for us, but we pick up a draft pick. Or otherwise, after they pick number 23, they were waiting around until the seventh round. Yeah. Or the sixth round, that is. Yeah. No, they were they were certainly, um, you know, waiting around. And, and this deal seemed to, you know, come together the past couple of days, um, you know, but, but certainly, you know, for, for Belichick and the Patriots, um, you know, one thing that they always value is, is those middle-round picks. Um, so, so for them, it's, it's a fantastic, you know, kind of coup. And, um, you know, getting the $10 million off their, you know, off their salary cap is, is probably even better for the Patriots since they, are, uh, they were really tight on space to begin with. 
just looking at the other shoe is going to drop here. Will they keep the other two tight ends, including O.J. Howard, or do O.J. Howard now become a trade bait to have him potentially get out and, and clear room for Gronkowski, who goes to an offense who, by the way, Bruce Arians, unlike that of Belichick, is not somebody that necessarily utilizes the tight end with all that much frequency. So it'll be interesting to see whether Bruce Arians now changes his ways a bit to fit Tom Brady and his style of play. But do you expect O.J. Howard out of town? You know, so, you know, right now they got three, you know, pretty, um, you know, high profile names. You know, you got Gronk, you got Howard, you got Cameron Brady on the roster. Um, but, you know, I, I got to imagine, you know, Howard or Brady are going to be draft capital for, uh, you know, for draft weekends. Um, you know, that's those going to be trade pieces that other teams are looking at. Um, the, the, the tight end position, obviously, is, a, is a certainly a valuable one. You know, O.J. Howard, I believe, was only 25 years old. Um, you know, former very high pick, you know, coming out of a good, uh, good school, good university. He worked well with, um, you know, with, uh, Jameis Winston. Um, he's had, you know, two good years. Um, I think of, you know, just over 30, uh, receptions. So, um, you know, he's, he's right in that, um, you know, right in that range of, you know, kind of coming into, you know, year, year three, where he can really, really, um, you know, turn it on for, you know, for whatever team he ends up, uh, playing with. Yeah, I'd be a little hesitant if I'm Bruce Aarons to pull the trigger on one O.J. Howard. As you mentioned, maybe a little underwhelming his first year, but you can see the growth. And he came out as being all-world out of the University of Alabama. Mm -hmm. And with his age and Gronk, I know Gronk is Gronk, but his production numbers were clearly, clearly slowing in the latter part of his career. And that last year, he was no longer nearly as effective as he once was. But that will all play out in the months and – Hopefully in the season ahead, I say hopefully because hoping that we actually play the thing. Well, one thing we are going to play, one thing we are going to have is an NFL draft, as we mentioned, that's coming up, as you talked about, in 48 hours, in two days, when we start the 2020 draft. Now, I just wanted to take a look at some of the numbers and project potentially Joe Burrow. It seems to be a done deal going number one to Cincinnati and the sort of numbers he might command going as a number one quarterback to the Cincinnati Bengals and taking a look back last year at some of the numbers speaking of uh, starting with the top spot and Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray who went at four years at 35 million with the 23 million dollar signing bonus now when you see that four at 35 and 23 million immediately in his pocket those are those are huge numbers but a bit bloated can you just take us through and sort of break down the four at 35 and potentially what Joe Burrow could be looking at as the number one in 2020 yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one one of the biggest differences um, is that, you know, what you're talking about, you know, you have a base salary of, of 495000 for for Kyler Murray. Um, and then on top of that, you have um, a signing bonus. So his signing bonus, just like you were talking about, um, over four years is $23.5 million. Um, and what that does is it gets prorated over four years. So it comes out to about 5.89 million a year, um, in 1920, 21 and 22. Um, with that, um, he's got a roster bonus in the back three of those years as well in 2021 and 22, um, at 1.5, 3 million and then 4.5 million. Um, and then his, his technically his paragraph five salary, which is his weekly salary, right? So when Kyler Murray steps on the field and plays, you know, the Los Angeles Rams and the 49ers in week one and week two, um, last year he was earning a prorated amount of 495,000. So one seventeenth of that each week. 
Um, this year he'll be earning one seventeenth of 675,000. Um, that's his base salary. And then just like we talked about, um, he's got the signing bonus on top of that and the roster bonus on top of that. Um, so that's how it, it kind of all comes together. Um, so, so um, someone like um, Joe Burrow will be looking at something very similar actually this year. And I, and I believe, um, you know, the base salary this year for a rookie coming into the league is 610,000 um, next year, 2021. Um, it'll be 660 and then 22, 705,000 and then 23, 750,000. And for all first round picks, remember, um, you're talking about a, uh, a team option in the fifth year, um, you know, for the fifth year. So, you know, for a quarterback, that's very valuable to keep that quarterback on a, on a pay scale, a pay rate, um, you know, that can, um, easily help the rest of the franchise. Um, that's why you see someone like Patrick Mahomes, you know, at, at such a low rate right now. Um, but Burrow will be looking at something very similar to, to Kyler Murray. He'll get a, he'll get a bump, um, just because of, uh, two things. One, um, there's, there is a new CBA, right? So the, the new CBA begins in the 2020 league year. Um, and then two, um, just like anything else, you know, contracts go up from year to year. Um, so he'll also get a bump in terms of his signing bonus. So, you know, he'll probably be looking at somewhere between, um, you know, somewhere right around, you know, $38 million over those for those first four years. Um, and then comes the all important, you know, fifth year option, um, you know, keeping that quarterback, uh, under, uh, team control, you know, for a fifth year. And then, you know, you never know about the sixth year, if, you know, if they're going to go on and, you know, franchise a guy, um, or if they're going to go on and, um, you know, do that new deal, you know, prior to the, uh, the first deal expiring. You always want to get out of that rookie deal is sooner rather than later, if you have the potential to make a lot of money, because that's when you, you seriously get paid as we saw with Jared Goff a couple of years ago after his rookie deal, getting that huge contract with the Los Angeles Rams. Speaking of Kyler Murray and any of the players that are going to get drafted coming up in two days, but we'll take, or excuse me, not Kyler Murray, but Joe Burrow. We'll, we'll use Joe Burrow as an example in Cincinnati. Do you think that the Bengals will specifically have language in this contract that should the season not be played that you potentially would not get paid or you would make an extra amount of dollars? I mean, is that something that would be broached because of the current situation that we're in? No, so it won't be specific to the Bengals, um, but there are some clauses um, in – um, NFL contracts, team contracts that just um, touching them. And you've probably seen them um, in other sports that are, you know, currently suspended just because the NFL is not in season. Um, there are, you know, what this called a force majeure clause. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you're seeing, you know, the NBA contemplate a, a 25% uh, reduction um, across the board. I think Major League Soccer is, is talking about negotiating 50%, you know, across the board for their players. Um, uh, I'm not sure what the, the NHL and major league baseball are doing in terms of their actual numbers. Um, but you're going to have, you know, those, those clauses are in contracts and, and they're not just in contracts for, you know, for the sake of the pandemic, they're in contracts because of, because of pandemics, because of natural disasters, because of war, um, any of those kind of components that can really alter a season. Um, so, you know, the, the people that have put these contracts together, you know, yes, they, they are addressed, but they're not addressed, you know, to the pandemic uh, specifically um, for this year. So um, I think the biggest difference is that, um, you know, when, you know, you're talking about free agency, right. You're talking about players taking physicals um, and then signing their contract is that 
you know, one of the things that is, is really difficult right now is that, you know, after the draft, you go to your team facility, um, you take your physical, you sign your contract as long as you pass your physical and, you know, in all likelihood in about 10 days, 12 days, you get a portion of your signing bonus. Um, some teams split it up over a couple different, um, payment periods. Um, but the big, you know, emphasis is that you're going to get paid and that's going to be different this year is that if you can't take a physical, um, you can't sign a contract and, you know, if you can't sign a contract, you're not gonna get your signing bonus. Um, so that will be certainly a triple down effect. Um, you know, until, uh, players can actually be back in team facilities. That's interesting. We're talking about Joe Burrow potentially making Kyler Murray type money, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Knowing Cincinnati, they like to prove <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to go there, but they are cheap. They have that the histrionics, just ask Carson Palmer and company. But you know, if if you look at Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, four years at thirty-five mil, which is which sounds good in twenty-three million, as you you were able to break it down. But it wasn't always like that. I mean, you could really cash in back in the day. And I have Jamarcus Russell going back to 2007, just to take a look at him as an example. Of course, we know him as next to Ryan Leaf, one of the biggest busts ever in the history of the NFL, especially at that quarterback position. Back in 2007, Jamarcus Russell signed at six years at $61 million with $32 million guaranteed. Sam Bradford had a similar type contract. Why we don't see those sort of numbers any longer. Yeah, so I mean, this was, you know, pre-2011 CBA. Um, and this is one of the reasons why that the owners really, you know, won that deal, so to speak. Um, you know, Bradford, I think, signed a six-year, $78 million deal, which had $50 million guarantees before he stepped on the field. Um, so owners basically said to themselves, whoa, 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 um, you know, we're signing guys here, especially quarterbacks, um, that we just have no idea what we're getting. Um, and this is before the slotted system. Um, this is, you know, really taking out the middle class in football. Um, and, you know, the owners and players association actually agreed on that, on that part of it, that it, it took out the middle class. And, um, you know, you wanted rookies to, to certainly be well compensated, especially as an agent. Um, but then also you wanted, you know, players um, that were already veterans that are moving into their second phase of their careers um, in the NFL to be compensated as well. Um, you know, so that was the biggest thing. So you have guys like Stafford, you know, Jamarcus Russell's a case, Sam Bradford's a case, um, where owners just basically put their foot down um, at the end of 2010. That was Bradford's last, yeah, that was Bradford's draft year. But they said, look, you know what, you know, these guys are just, you know, and you have, you know, cases like a Bradford or, or Jamarcus Russell as, as an uh, example, um, you know, we're not getting the value, you know, 50 million guaranteed. Um, you know, what it also does too is if you look at it a little bit, it cuts both ways. You know, you have, you know, now you're looking at a four-year deal, in the first round with a fifth year team option, you know, then you could be looking at six year deals, um, you know, for a first round pick seven year deal. Um, you know, so the length of those deals were just really, really long. Um, it, it kind of came up when we were watching the last dance on, on Sunday night a little bit too, you know, you saw some, you know, Scotty Pippen signed a seven year deal or I think something like that or six year deal. And I was like, man, you know, Jordan was getting paid 30 million in his, in his final two years and Pippen was getting paid, you know, 2.9. And then, you know, went up to 3.5, then somehow he went back down like 2.7. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, his, his, his salary fluctuated that much, but, um, but really it was just, um, you know, when you, ha when you have hindsight, you can obviously look back on it and be like, wow, like what was going on here? Um, but just the trend now is, you know, uh, rookies, um, and this is, this is why you're going to see, you know, uh, teams trying to keep quarterbacks under control. 
um, is that, you know, getting a rookie, getting a rookie quarterback under team control, um, you know, for those first four years, really putting a team around him because it allows you the flexibility um, to really uh, grow that roster out around him. And that's why you've seen some, you know, some rookie quarterbacks with a lot of success um, in previous, you know, CBAs, you know, like a, like a Bradford, uh, Stafford, obviously Jamarcus Russell, you know, they didn't have that um, ability just to fill out the rest of the roster because they were committed so much of the percentage to those quarterbacks already. Every year we see this in the NFL, and this year will be no different, and that is players sliding, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. And this year, as we talked about, there, there will be players that will drop in, whether it's the first round or could fall out, out of the first round entirely, down to the second and or the third round. And we always know that this costs them money. Can you sort of give a better idea in terms of what sort of money is lost by players that slide deep into the first round or out of the first round compared to the first, second, and third round? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you, you always see it. You know, you see the players on TV sit in the green room. Um, you know, uh, DK Metcalf is one guy that's a little bit last year. Um, you've obviously seen, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Brady Quinn, you know, guys like that in the past. Um, so the average guarantee dollars per round um, are pretty significant. You know, around one guy is at 16.9 million. So basically $17 million. Um, that's guaranteed um, for the entire first round. That's the average. The, the second round is this tremendous drop that goes to 3.7. Um, and then round three is, is down below a million at 946,000. Um, you know, all the way down in, in round seven to $88,000. Um, and those are your guarantees. But, but certainly, um, you know, when you're looking at, you know, someone like, you know, Kyler Murray, who's, who's at 35, you know, million um, total guarantee is the top overall pick. Um, you know, you're looking at then, I think we were talking about Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, who's at, who's at 14 million. Um, you know, that's a significant, you know, significant difference, you know, uh, between one and 15 in the same rounds. Now, now, obviously, the number one pick is, you know, is deserved of getting, uh, you know, paid out that money. But even if you go from one to six, um, you know, and keeping with the quarterback theme, you know, Murray's at 35 million. You got Daniel Jones at 25 million. Um, so you're still talking about, you know, an extra 10 million dollars. Um, you know, so those are all, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, there's, it's not just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's certainly a business decision to get drafted higher. Um, it's not just, um, you know, for someone to pump out their chest and, and, um, you know, say, Hey, look, I'm the first overall pick. I'm the second overall pick, third overall pick. Um, there's a significant amount of guarantees and, and guaranteed dollars. Um, you know, even looking at the bottom of the first rounds, um, you know, everyone talks about, and I'm sure people have, you've, you've heard people say, Oh, well, it's better to be, you know, top of the second round as, as opposed to the, you know, last part of the first round. And that's true. I think, um, you know, you're talking about an $8.9 million guarantee, you know, for the last pick of the first round. Um, and then if you go to the second rounds, um, you're talking about, you know, a total guarantee of 6 million. Um, uh, but you know, you're getting a free agency much, much quicker. Um, and that's the biggest thing you get into that second contract, um, uh, much quicker. Um, you don't have a fifth year option team option to be able to keep you, you know, kind of cash strapped and keep you under control, for that extra year. Um, so, so that's a big thing that, you know, when you're, uh, when you're the top part of the second round, you can, you can get out from under that rookie deal um, in four years and not worry about that fifth year team option. Well, I get DJ Metcalf who is ultimately going to get paid. And speaking of guys that slid and you mentioned his name, but Brady Quinn, I still have those images of that poor dude in his three piece suit and the girlfriend by his side yeah. in the green room. And they had a camera on him 
And he just would slide and slide, and the team was on the clock, and they'd pass on the guy, and he was just sitting there, what seemed like for an eternity. But it happens every year. And this year, just taking a look at some of the players that potentially could be in a similar scenario, Jonathan Taylor is a name that has come up. And we've talked about this from time to time, how running backs now are not at a premium in terms of what you want to do as far as the draft is con- concerned and not ex- and using a high draft pick on a running back because a lot of those effective running backs you can find in ladder rounds, if not undrafted free agents. He's also had a case of the fumbleitis, and that's one thing that in the NFL, even if the hint of you coughing up the ball, that is a red, red flag. So he's a guy that potentially could slide, and as you mentioned, there could be a huge loss financially. And also T. Higgins, and I wanted to underline T. Higgins because this guy, as we have seen, one of the favorite targets out of Clemson of Trevor Lawrence and has all the size and athleticism. He's 6'4", he's a big target, he runs a good route. But T. Higgins did not. In fact, he pulled himself out of the NFL Combine this year. Uh, First of all, what does that mean in terms of his draft status? And he's beginning to slip simply because I think a lot of the the GMs and a lot of the NFL teams feel as though he's hiding something and he's not the sort of athlete that uh, a lot of people anticipated. But what does it mean in terms of sort of the pre-draft workouts? And if you don't do well or if you don't do it at all in terms of your draft status? Well, usually, you know, look, there's a number of people that either, you know, get injured the combine or, you know, are not um, uh, doing all the events at the combine. And that's common from year to year. The difference is that you have your pro day to, to correct anything. You know, if it's an injury concern, you know, you can run later at your pro day. Um, if it's, you know, just that you're worn down, you know, you know, in, in a case of, you know, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, um, teams that are playing with, you know, deep into the playoffs, college football playoff, um, you might just have guys that are just worn down and then can't train um, like they wanted to, you know, after the season. So this year it comes down, you know, really to medicals, right? Um, and, you know, if you didn't work out the combine, you could plan to work out your pro day. You didn't have that workout. And then what happens is that teams don't have what they call official numbers on you. So if you did nothing at the combine, you just went there, you interviewed, um, as a quarterback and, and certainly as a top tier quarterback, it's, it's not going to make much of a difference. Um, but for, for a skill position guy, um, anyone in, in that, you know, kind of path, um, for a guy, T Higgins who's a wide receiver, um, you know, big body guy, like probably very similar to like an AJ green type, um, you know, long, um, and for him, it, it certainly matters because, you know, not only do you, if you pick up an injury, but then you just don't have any official numbers. So, you know, teams are basically going to, it sounds crazy, but they're going to make up their own numbers on you. Um, and it happens all the time. Um, you know, they're going to try to judge that from, from play speed, um, from, you know, if they saw you at your junior day, um, you know, if they saw you, you know, prior to, um, if NFL scouts saw you prior to your junior day, um, they're going to try to do anything to, to kind of manufacture numbers for you. Um, and they won't have an official number and, and that's, you know, on a team by team basis. So, you know, if you're injured the entire process, um, and you can't work out for anyone. All right. You know what? Everyone's kind of at the same place, but in this sense, um, not only don't you have official numbers, you can't work out for anyone. You know, you can't really visit teams and interview. Um, you know, you can interview virtually, um, but you can't even, you know, work out position coaches, um, do anything of that. Um, so it really comes down to the medical, um, and you're seeing this a little bit with two as well. Um, but, but certainly the players that are getting dropped this year or, or could slide this year, 
it's going to be because they didn't work out at the combine and, and because they didn't have a pro day, um, which I think last I checked, it was like 133 pro days that were, that were canceled. Um, and you know, teams just don't have a full profile on them. They just don't have, you know, um, any numbers on them and, you know, what kind of health they are in, um, you know, if there are injury concerns, if there are red flags, um, you know, they don't, they're not able to really fact check that with their own doctors. So we talked about first round picks and even second round picks as you were able to break it down for us. But when you get to undrafted free agents, how does that work in terms of the money that they ask for or as an NFL team? And from their perspective, if you're a general manager, if you're with an NFL team, how do you decipher as to who's going to get money and where that pecking order in terms of who gets paid what when it's the undrafted free agents, as we have discussed on numerous occasions, comprise such a, a good percentage in the success and or the failure of a team, it's, it's the free agents. But how does that work from a money standpoint when it comes to the NFL draft, Matt? Sure. So, so, you know, that's a lot of what we'll be doing, um, you know, trying to figure out the best spots for guys that are under the free agents. Um, and, and basically what teams are doing is they're making offers um, to agents, to players, right? So the signing bonuses are nothing like you're going to see, um, you know, during the draft. You're talking about, you know, in some cases, you know, a hundred bucks, $250. Um, you know, I'd say an average signing bonus is, is probably about $6,500. Um, I think last year, um, you know, the total guarantee average was about $19,000, um, you know, per player. And it takes two things into account. It takes the actual signing bonus of, you know, say, let's, you know, just, you know, go with a player, you know, Joe Smith, who was a cornerback and, you know, signed by the Arizona Cardinals and the Cardinals signed him for $7,500. Um, and that's basically for him to, you know, show up at, at rookie minicamp, right? They signed to a contract and, and maybe they put what they call paragraph five salary in that as well. And what that means is um, if he never makes another roster, um, he'll also get a second guarantee maybe of $25,000 or $75,000. Um, and that's if he never makes anyone else's roster, never plays, um, you know, for that entire uh, 2000 this year, 2020 year um, on someone else's roster. Um, but really, you know, the way we kind of look at it is you kind of use history to see how it's going to repeat itself. You know, what teams are, you know, keeping the undrafted free agents, you know, so, you know, so for example, you know, the Atlanta Falcons, and I don't mean to put them on the spot, but, you know, they signed, you know, 20, I'm sorry, 17 uh, free agents last year after the draft and only one made the final roster sorry, the first game roster and only one made the practice squad. Um, 16 of those players, you know, received a signing bonus. Um, so that's a high percentage and the high, you know, the high signing bonus was 15,000. The low signing bonus was, was 1500, um, you know, and their total signing bonus was about $74,000. Um, but, you know, the biggest difference is, you know, for an agent looking at it is that only one of those 17 made the roster and only one of them made a practice squad. So, you know, the percentage of those players is, is not very high, um, which is not a very comforting, um, you know, situation to put a player in, um, you know, and, and a lot of these teams, you know, you're signing, you know, two dozen players. Um, that's how you're filling out your roster. That's how you fill out all, you know, all those spots and, you know, special teamers and, you know, core guys and whoever else it might be. Um, but you do, you do want to see teams, you know, at least holding on to those players and making, you know, their, their practice squad at the very least. Um, and you had some, you had some players, New York Giants, you know, had seven players make their practice squad out of 18. 
the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars had seven players make it, but out of 29, um, you know, so there's some, you know, significant, um, you know, gaps that, that teams, uh, you know, you know, don't really address properly. Um, and a lot of this is, is just a free for all. Um, there's not enough time to make, you know, really educated, smart decisions. Um, you know, teams believe, you know, that, you know, they, they obviously have some time in the sixth, seventh rounds to kind of address their board. Um, and, and that's when this whole process starts, but it just comes so fast that, you know, the decisions aren't always, you know, the best decision on both sides of the equation, you know, as for the team and, and certainly for the player. When you mentioned Atlanta signing only one, yeah. play, undra- one undrafted free agent to the no. practice squad. Yeah, yeah, so one out of 17 made the One practice. out of 17. Yep. Is that, was that just uh, last year? Was that sort of an anomaly or historically do they have that sort of reputation? Do teams have reputations in terms of the way they, they treat undrafted free agents? Yeah, yeah, teams absolutely do. Um, you know, I can't – I don't know what Atlanta was prior to that, um, you know, but but certainly, um, you know, the – you know, one team that, that you know, it look, you, you kind of have a, a tiered system, and it's it's no different than any other business. Um, there's some really poorly run franchises, and, and, you know, people out there can probably guess them. Um, they're the ones picking high in the draft each year. You know, the New York Jets, Washington Redskins, the Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, the Miami Dolphins, um, you know, these that, that's that's the bottom of the NFL and, and they're picking high for a reason. Um, you know, Baltimore Ravens are an extremely well run, you know, uh, smooth franchise, smooth operating franchise. Um, you know, they do a, a, a very good job of retaining their free agents, you know, developing players through their practice squad. Um, but, you know. The Patriots, you know, are in the same way. Look, the Patriots only have one player um, out of 13 make the practice squad last year. Um, you know, so it, it's not a exact science every year. It really isn't. Um, you know, you, you would think that, hey, look, you know what, certain teams are better at it than others. But, you know, the truth of it is that you don't know really what you're getting because this happens so fast. And um, it's not the best way to go about it. Um, that's really, you know, the, the overall determination. Um, you know, you, you obviously have, look, you had the Victor Cruz's of the world, right. That, that come, you know, for, and basically signed for nothing, um, you know, and, and turn it into a very lucrative career and, you know, as a number one wide receiver. Um, but that isn't, you know, you know, that isn't the norm, um, you know, across the entire NFL, um, and certainly though teams get the reputation of, look, you know what, I don't want to send a player there because, you know what, they, they thought they knew, you know, what they were getting and they just had no clue. They had no clue how to work with them. Um, certainly there's agents that hold grudges, um, you know, against teams from, from previous years. Um, you know, we've done that. We, you know, we, we won't send, you know, players, certain teams because, you know, the front office really is in disarray. Um, the coaching staff doesn't really have the final decision. Um, you know, you, you kind of know the ins and outs of, of what executives, you know, are making the call, you know, on the, on the end of the roster or the, the final say in the roster. Um, so it's for us, it's, it's listening to the pitches, but it's also listening to who's saying them, you know, is it a low level scout that's calling you? Is it, you know, an assistant um, general manager? Is it a salary cap guy? Is it a position coach? Um, you know, who's calling for that player? And then, you know, what details can they tell you about that player? Um, you know, where can that player contribute immediately? Can he be a special teams player, a core guy? You know, can he be a developmental, you know, defensive player, a developmental offensive piece, you know, in the system? Um, and those are all things that, you know, we have to talk to them about, um, certainly to try to put the player in the best position possible. Um, and that takes the money out of it sometimes. Sometimes you don't take the best deal financially because, you know, he, that player would have a, you know, a better chance, um, 
you know, at, at taking a, uh, a roster spot somewhere else because of the depth chart. Um, you know, there's, there's teams that have called after we've already signed players and say, Hey, look, you know what? I got a, you know, a $9,000 offer here hanging out here for, uh, for Joe Smith. And, you know, and we're like, well, Joe Smith doesn't play that position. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what you, you know, thought you were getting there, but it doesn't make too much sense of, of why you would sign him. He doesn't fit your scheme or doesn't fit the defense. Um, you know, so there, there's all kinds of situations like that, that, that we always have to address with our players too, because they're getting, you know, phone calls and text messages from scouts and GMs, you know, through this whole process. Can you us through what it is as an NFL agent that you're doing two days prior to the yeah so so for us it's it's really just um it's talking to the teams right it's it's um kind of posturing you know look you know where do you have this player where do you have that player this year it's a lot different it's it's making sure the teams have as much information as they possibly need to make a decision um and that talks about medicals that talks about you know questionnaires they send out to players um that you know, making sure that um, all the virtual meetings have been accomplished or, or anything that they're looking for um, through their virtual meeting has been accomplished. Um, you know, anything in, in th that realm, uh, traditionally, you know, it's really just, you know, you're checking boxes. You're, you're making sure that, you know, um, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Atlanta Falcons, you know, have the correct information for your player, for you, for, you know, anything in that regard. Um, you know, talking to your players, obviously, about their expectations, setting their expectations in the correct manner. Um, you know, those are all things that, you know, you're, you're trying to do two days before the draft um, and even during draft weekend as well, too, um, depending on when a player is, you know, is going to get selected. Um, but certainly, um, it's just having those last-minute conversations or exchanging mess text messages with scouts um, or coaches, position coaches primarily, um, you know, leading up to the draft. And, and certainly um, – you know, trying to posture for your player to, you know, to get pit at some point um, over the weekend and, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Real sports return. Best you and your We'll rejoin and catch up next. Find out how everybody in the NFL did and what is going to be at least in my lifetime, the most unused, you know, you, you always have the expectations and the curiosity of where players are going to go, who's going to trade up, where's two are going to go, who's going to slide. All of those things that, that make up the draft and why we as fans, we, we glam to it every year. But this year, it's almost like, you know, the car wreck. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't look, but you know that, at least for me, that there's the potential that something horrific could go wrong. Either somebody's computer goes down, somebody can't log into Zoom, and it could cost a draft pick, a high draft pick. I just, I just get the feel that something virtually or technically or there's going to be some miscommunication is what we're in store for. I hope it doesn't happen, but there is a, a huge potential that we're looking at something in this unusual draft that could go wrong, that could have a serious effect on on NFL teams yeah no I mean you you had the NFL run a run a mock a quote-unquote mock draft uh yesterday or two days ago How'd that go? yeah and I think there was actually a glitch with the first pick uh with the with the Bengals picking <laughs> oh, um I think a glitch went off and they couldn't get the pick in um so you know that might be good if I'm Joe Burrow I'm like okay I'm get okay. me out of you know get me out of Cincy but um but yeah I mean you know, look you know 
I, I guess there's, there's, you know, those are questions that, you know, luckily are not uh, in my wheelhouse about the IT and, you know, all those uh, components of, of how the draft actually runs. But, but anytime you run a mock draft and, and the first pick, you know, had, had trouble getting submitted. Um, I think that's something you got to look at and, and make sure that, um, you know, for this, for the first live sporting event, I guess you would say, um, in a couple months now, you want to make sure that just, this is going to go off as smooth as possible. Um, and obviously the NFL is doing that. Um, but, but yeah, you want to make sure that the, uh, the first pick is, is definitely able to get in. Well, they had a hard time with the first pick. We can only imagine what it's going to be like when they get down to the undrafted free agents. Yeah, it's going to, it'll be, it'll be a lot of pandemonium. It'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of back and forth, uh, you know, teams that normally are all together, just checking off boxes. Um, you know what? I think the one thing that it, it does this year is it eliminates a lot of noise that's, that's normally associated with a player, um, you know, or a profile or a prospect where, you know what, teams can just really focus on their college tape. Um, and I think you might see some of that, you know, come out in the later rounds where you're, you're getting really good players, really good football players, um, as opposed to, you know, just really athletic players who tested well. Um, and I think that's one thing that, you know, um, might've been lacking, um, you know, in recent memory because you have so many, you know, so much information coming from so many places. Um, you know, sometimes teams listen to that noise, um, they get caught up in it, but they can just really look at the, the actual players in their college tape, uh, this year. Um, and their excuses, Hey, look, you know what, that's, that's all we got. could be a good and or a bad thing, depending on you know, the typical way they like to go about things and vetting out a player and getting to meet him. And obviously, as we've talked about, and you have mentioned how they like to actually talk and, and look at the guy eyeball to eyeball, not, on, not online, but that's yeah. obviously something that uh, is not going to take place this year. All right, Matt. Well, good luck, as I mentioned, coming up on Thanks. Saturday. We'll reconvene coming up next week. But for right now, that is giving them the sports biz for Matt out in New York. This is Dan in San Francisco saying so long, everybody. Cheers, Dan. Enjoy, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.